Hey friends, and welcome to Bold Mercies with Heather Johnson. I am so glad that you have decided to join us, to come and listen to some faith-building stories. God's bold mercies in our lives help us live out our stories with boldness. I'm excited for you guys to get the opportunity to meet my friend, Michelle Edwards. We talk in this episode about being a role model in mentorship and how sometimes you don't even know and realize the impact that you are having on other people. And Michelle Edwards, she was that to me. She just embraced us and it inspired me to be that for my boys and to find that sort of mentorship for my boys as well. So without further ado, here's Michelle Edwards. So I am definitely a mother of two big boys uh, who are actually men. Darren is 30 years old and he's currently interviewing for business school, which is really exciting. Dante is 24. Dante will be, no, Dante will be 24. He's 23 years old. And he's a student at Norfolk State University, but very interested in music and having and being an entrepreneur. And he's a resistor of the dominant culture, like anything that it feels religious to him. He's like, no, I want to break out and do my own thing. And not in a way that he doesn't include faith, but just not getting caught up in like the status quo. He's not a status quo person. So I just love Dante for his boldness to try to go non-traditional. And I love Darren for just being who he is and just seeking to do great things. Uh, the business school he's the business schools that he's thinking about attending are all Ivy League schools. And so to be a black man walking into that space and just really tearing down walls is, is really nice to watch and to help navigate him and Dante through their paths has been just a wonderful opportunity for me as a mother. I'm also married to Patrick Edwards. And he is a professional musician, so we get to sing and play together because he plays and I sing. And so that's been a, a great journey over the last 14 and a half years of marriage that we've been blessed with. And, and while I, I didn't get a chance to raise my, I would say, bonus daughters, we have four of them. We're all adults as well and live in Chicago and Along with them come 12 grandchildren. I really loved being part of your family for the short time that we were in D.C. Mm -hmm. And I just saw you love your kids so well and that your boys just adored you as well. And it was just this beautiful thing for me to watch and to be part of. So what pieces of Michelle Edwards do we need to know to really get to know you? So interestingly, I mean, I've reached the middle, I would say middle of life. I just turned 48 years old. When I look back to you know, young Michelle, I was born and raised on the west side of Chicago. Kind of lived a pretty, I would say, dichotomous existence in terms of I was raised by my grandparents, who were also pastors in our church, but also was the child of a teenage mother who was kind of in and out. And so it was just kind of weird, just kind of being with some middle class people on one side and, you know, being pushed um, to excel in school and to go to church and be involved in the church and then having parents on the other side who were just the opposite of what my grandparents were teaching mm -hmm. us. And so... Later on, maybe my early, my teenage years, 13 to 17, living with my mother uh, was very different than my grandmother's and pretty traumatic as well. But one of the things that I 
always share is that, you know, when I was younger, around nine or 10, I, w- I made a decision that I would go to college. I would seek higher education. I had a pretty solid understanding of what that meant. And so that was something that I could hold on to despite all of the turmoil around me. And then also living with my mother, I had a choice as to whether or not I would go to church and I decided I would go to church. So you were super young when you were saying, hey, I want to go to college. What was it that really sparked that fire in your belly? So I've always enjoyed learning. And so like reading books and studying, things like that. I was always interested in that. But when I was around that age, my aunt, she went away to college. And so I had an opportunity to visit her and like stay over for like the weekend. I mean, I was like, wow, this is, this is what I want to do. And I kind of hung on to that literally forever. Then when I was going through a ton of things during my teenage years, very difficult times, including pregnancy, teenage pregnancy with Darren, it was still never never crossed my mind that I wouldn't go to school. Wow. So you went to school accomplishing an amazing feat by being a solo mom. And then you went and threw yourself back into education and giving back to your community. What did that look like? You know, I was very fortunate. So the school where I went for elementary school in Chicago was a K is a K eight school, kindergarten to eighth grade. I actually had the great fortune to actually go back and teach there. Just was able to I lived in the community. I was able to buy my the house, my childhood home, immerse myself back into that space and to be there to be able to be a catalyst for forward movement was extraordinary. Your life was a living example to them of what was a possibility for these mm-hmm. girls that they may not have ever thought would be a possibility mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. One of the tensions for me was that I felt like an exception and I didn't want to be an exception. I wanted it to be like the rule. About two years ago I was on a plane I was flying, I think I was flying to Chicago and a young woman was getting, I was sitting on the seat and she was coming towards me and I looked at her and I was like, I know her, but I don't know, where do I know her from? Because I've been gone for, for 16 years, 17 years at this time. And so she was staring at me and I was like, I know you. And she was like, did you used to teach at Webster? And I was like, yeah. But she ended up finding me on Facebook and wow. sent me a message and basically like, don't realize you saved my life. Yeah, I had a like poetry class. So I had kids who were like, Girls who were showing interest in poetry. So I was like, hey, we'll come early in the morning and we can write poetry. I'm not really poetic, but hey, you guys have space to write and we'll read it. And, and she was one of the persons who chose to come. And she was saying how her stepfather was molesting her sister. And because she was able to come to poetry in the morning, he didn't have an opportunity to get her. And I'm just oh like, my oh my goodness. God, I was just trying to create oh five space to write. And, and now she's a teacher. Oh my goodness, teacher. look at that. Her husband's a pastor and they just had a child and she's amazing. You had no idea what impact your life was having. I've studied trauma and I've done a lot of work in the social emotional learning space. The most important thing, which seems very, very simple, is relationship with an adult. They know, cares about them and centers them. That that's it. Mm. That that's the disruptor. If you have an adult mm-hmm. that's paying attention, that's listening to you, and that person could be anyone. You know, when you're talking, they're paying attention. They're not on their phone. They listen mm. to you. They're modeling for mm. you. And sometimes people don't realize that they're doing this is in a surrogate way. They don't know it. Like I don't. My aunt didn't know that she was being a model. There are other yeah. 
women in leadership who didn't realize they were being a model, but I was very closely paying attention to people. They were there and I was paying attention to them and trying to trying to emulate them. It's really about relationship, relationship, relationship. It's so simply said, but it can be so difficult to actually follow through with this, exactly. right? I mean, the consistency, the consistency, yes. yeah, and the commitment to people, even when they may demonstrate behaviors that folks don't understand. I mean, one of the things that when I was a principal, I started a mentoring program and every adult had to Every child was assigned to an adult in our school, and it was what children needed, and I, and I understood that. And now I've been gone for almost seven years, and they still have the mentoring program. Wow. And there are people who have followed their kids for years and years and years, and it's it's critical that students will have access to an adult who, who will give them their time, will give them their energy, their resources, and listen to them and talk with them through things. Poverty and that kind of thing is traumatic for the brain, but but the brain is resilient. And so if, if we can give of our time, our energy, it's a world of difference for children, especially if we think about efficacy. If you see someone or you engage with people who are similar to you and you can see yourself and you can say, okay, I can do that. You know, girl to woman or black child, to black person or whoever, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. that efficacy is critical to achievement. For instance, like here we have two high school interns who are two young black girls who are 17. I am one of the black women in here and who's the leader of the space. I, I sat down with them last week and just talked about an hour. We were supposed to talk for like 30 minutes, but they were they were very, very comfortable. Mm-hmm. And we just have some commonalities that they they got and we just could laugh. Mm-hmm. They were very comfortable mm-hmm. in a way that I hadn't seen them. Wow. I think I also hear you saying that it's not only the mentoring mm-hmm. that's so important, but the raising up of the mentors that is vital as well in your work. When we first started four years ago, partnering with this other organization, bringing mentors, I, mentees. I knew this internship is critical. It was a critical part of my development as a 14, 15 year old to have a job and to understand what it takes to be in the workplace, how you look, how you dress, how you speak, how you engage with others. It was very, very critical for me. And so that's something that I want to make sure we did here. I was very involved with like hands-on mentoring, but I now have released that to the team so that mm-hmm. they are participating in this and they understand. It. And, I, and I've made sure that I, that I share like how important this is and how it mattered for me. Uh, one of the questions I asked the mentees were, was if they had a concern, did they feel comfortable talking to anyone in the office about it? And they both shared yes and who they would talk to and why they chose that person. And yeah. that was something I shared back with the staff as well. I think that's critical that they feel like they can, they have somebody that they can lean on, they can talk to about an issue that they may be having. It's we're all yeah. responsible. Yes. We can't live as islands. We can't live in isolation. No, we can't. Can we? We, weren't, we weren't created. We weren't created. We were created to be community. Yes. Yep. Which looks like peers, mentors, and mentees. Mm-hmm. Like that's what it yep. looks like. So if I'm getting this correct, you were a teacher who made your way through the educational wickets and became a principal. And that's when I knew you when you were in Washington, D.C. And then you moved on and you got your Ph.D. Yes. 
I was so proud of you when I saw that. But that must have been a ton of work. It was. I mean, I've, I've been a teenage mom, so that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, but I had to lean on that strength to finish that program. It was a principal, and I always thought I wanted to get my doctorate, but I was like, okay. And I chose the University of Pennsylvania, which Ivy League institution, very diverse set of people in the cohort. Being a principal and doing that full time and being a mother and a wife, dog owner, and everything else was, it was a very humbling experience. Um, I had to really lean into who I was. I, I'm not a quitter, and I just, I knew I would never, I wouldn't quit. No, I would finish. You know, the difference between the doctorate, I because I had gotten a couple of master's degrees already, but there was a the difference is about learning more about yourself. And so my study was on teenage moms and how they're able to navigate uh, school and parenting and how they think of themselves and the possibilities that, that are there for them. I would be considered a successful teenage mother. I think I had some, I think, learned and innate abilities to navigate spaces and to think about what this meant for girls now and how they're doing that. I wanted to figure that out. And in the meantime, I realized that it was time for me to step away from the principalship to learn more about the nonprofit space. And so I, yeah. I entered the space of leadership development with new leaders, which is an organization that brought me, actually brought me to DC and was able to build some real serious relationships with aspiring leaders who are now principals and getting awards. And so watching them be like, oh my gosh, she's teaching the college now. And he just got an Aww. award for this. And to know that I was able to impact them, seeing these people grow and they reach out and they, you know, talk about how our relationship, it was so much about relationship. Yes, I held them to expectations and pushed them, but they could talk to me. Yeah. And then I was asked to take the role of executive director. That's been a huge learning experience for me, but I like to learn. And that's what I wanted to do. What I know about you is that you embrace life with such vigor. You are now the director of Live It, Learn It. What exactly is this organization? So Live It, Learn It is, um, we're an experiential learning nonprofit. And we basically make the city a classroom for children who are black and brown who live in D.C. Uh, the city has a wealth of learning opportunities in our museums, on our, in our water, boats. I mean, a D.C. is amazing that way. It's not necessarily accessible for everyone. What we do is we teach children to, we teach children in those places, but before we take them anywhere, we are, there's a, what we call a pre-lesson to help them think about the topic of focus. So, for instance, at the African American History and Culture Museum, they study women in the civil rights movement. And prior mm -hmm. to going on what we call a field experience, they study those folks and get abreast about who they're going to learn about when they get there. And so it's not a, it's not totally new when they walk into the museum. They are prepared. And it's a very right. focused couple hour experience. It's we're going to the second floor to study this. Squatted on the floor with their clipboards and pencils and papers and it's beautiful to watch. I mean it just really disrupts how people stereotypically think about black and brown children. These children are brilliant. They're smart. They have a lot of questions. They're thinkers. And they just have to have the right people teaching them. And so that's what we do. And we're able to also work with teachers. And we're, we have a fellowship and we train teachers to be experientially thoughtful on a daily basis. So how and what kind of experiences are you giving children or setting them up for? How are they reflecting? What does your teaching look like? How are they extrapolating that? 
knowledge into a new experience and really to think about that cycle mm -hmm. so that it's not like sage on the stage, but it's creating the space for learning. And also because I, as an executive director and former principal, I understand the loneliness of the role. And so this year created a, I have a monthly gathering of black women, executive directors or leaders in their spaces. Mm -hmm. And we meet over dinner and talk about what our goals are and, and any experiences that we're having in our roles, just mm -hmm. to have that affinity group. And again, to build a sense of efficacy and the experience yeah. levels are, like, I think I probably have the most experience with about 25 years in education down to someone who's 30. Uh, but again, yeah. there's the relationship, there's the mentoring, the connection. I love that so much because women in leadership are often lonely. And then you talk about black women in leadership mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. they are too few and far between. And so you all need this community. You need each other. Exactly. It's vital to us being successful in this space. And to know that you have someone you can contact or, you know, you know, when you I'm in the room and I see someone from my group, I'm like, hey, you know, I know you and that's all. And it's becoming more, it's growing. I mean, we, we're like, I think we have like 10 of us now and it's very organic. It's, there's, there are no rules around it, but it's, it's been beautiful to see and, and, and witness them knowing that they need to be there and showing yeah. up and feeling welcome from day one. It's really helpful for me and my own well-being as a leader to have that group of women to, to talk to. Yeah. Wow. I loved hearing about Live It, Learn It and just the doors that you guys are throwing wide open for these black and brown children of D.C. Oh, yes. And as you prepare these kids, their minds are like fertile soil walking into what they're about to experience. Yeah, they're they're very sought after. Our partners love that our students come prepared. You know, they're knowledgeable. They're not tabula la rasa. They're coming in. They're like, oh, okay, I, I know about Joe. You know, I know about this person or I understand what sculpture is or elements of art, things, stuff that I didn't know growing up that they get access to, which is so critical for to be a well-rounded person. And to also, I mean, the bigger thing is that they understand that this is their city. They yeah. belong in any place in the city. And we want them to feel like that. And we go to the African-American History and Culture, History and Culture Museum you know, you see blacks in there and you can tell like this is home and I want every place in DC to be home so they can feel comfortable with the National Gallery of Art. They can feel comfortable going to see a play or, you know, that this is this belongs to you. Oh, I just love that. I'm clapping over here in my house. And giving them access to the community and culture that is around them and saying to them, this is your city. Get to know it. Enjoy it. Invest in it. I love that so much. And I really loved all that you shared because you've given back to your community with the bold mercies that God has put in your life. And you've touched lives in ways that you'll never know. You might hear stories and be shocked and be like, I didn't know I was touching a life that way. But for sure, you have really served in such a vibrant way. I'm going to ask you a question that wasn't really on the show notes, but I'm really curious. If you were sitting down with a teen mom in today's society and today's culture, and you sat down with her for coffee, what is some advice that you would pass on to this teen mom? I would say one of the things that they need to understand is that in order to navigate 
the resources that are available to them because there are a ton of resources. I mean, one thing they need to understand is that you're, that they're being asked as a young person to be a project manager for their lives, which is just very difficult. I mean, people get certificates in project management. And so I would yeah. say, you know, hold the, hold the adults are to be held accountable for supporting you. You don't have to feel a sense of guilt or shame because all of us have done something that we are not necessarily proud of. And some of us, it gets it gets to be shown to society, and others of us, yeah. people never know what we did. You can hide it. You can't hide having a child, but the child right. is a blessing, and it can be a strong motivation for you. That child, and that's what I found in my research that many of the young girls are motivated when they see this child, this responsibility. They're like, okay, I'm going to finish school. Okay, I want to do this. But the I would say one of the bigger things is understanding that the, the adults are responsible, especially those who are paid, for supporting you and don't let them off the hook as it relates to that. I would say also to them that it's important, even when it's difficult, that you raise your own child. And that's a barring adoption. I'm saying if you decide to keep your child, you have the daily responsibility of that child. If you don't have that responsibility, another child, other children tend to pop up, right? So but when you know what it takes to raise a child, that's likely to have another one right afterwards. You know, raise your child. I mean, it's a joy. Love the child unconditionally. You are a testament to how well it can go because here you have your son. He's 30 and he's doing really well. And I'm sure a lot of that success is because you invested that time and energy when he was little. So really kudos mm -hmm. to you for being a teen mom that persevered, that was able to get her degree and was able to give back to her community in a really powerful way. Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, I, my goal, and it was very clear for me that my child never felt like his mother was a teenager. That was one wow. of my goals. And so if, if you, it just meant I had to be an adult. I had to act like an adult. Sometimes I think he struggles to, he's like, oh yeah, you were a teen mom. Because he doesn't, he whatever that is, right? Whatever the stereotype is for that, he didn't experience that. Yes. Uh, which is a huge blessing. Huge. Yeah. Well, we are going to end every podcast by asking, what is making you happy right now? So we just are going to assume that Jesus and his word and your boys uh -huh. and your husband and your bonus daughters and your grandbabies are making you happy. But what else is making you happy right now? I think what's making me happy right now is realizing that I'm currently on this journey of self-discovery and figuring out who I am outside of titles and motherhood and wife. What are the things that Michelle enjoys? What is it that I want to do? Resting is that, because uh, I can work, like I'm a person who enjoys working, but I've had to like mm -hmm. say, okay, stop. Work is over. Mm -hmm. Who is that? Mm -hmm. What do you like to do? And so I've been reading a list in my mind and on paper of things that I enjoy, you know, taking a nap or going for a walk or traveling. I enjoy doing that. But so right now it's just really thinking about Michelle specifically outside of these titles and stuff. And that's just nice just being Michelle and just being normal and just paying attention to, to people. And But if it's important to someone, I should be excited when they're talking about it and not be, and not thinking about like justice in the world and we need to fix the world. I'm like, just enjoy the moment. I'm like, talk about hair. I'm like, okay. That's interesting. I love it. 
I love that you are enjoying a season of rest and self-discovery. It's really awesome. Yes. I feel like, Michelle, you are just a treasure trove and provide such rich wealth of knowledge. And I would love to have you on again here to chat more. You just left me wishing that we had time to talk about so many more (laughs) things. So we'll have to wait until another time when we can dig into it a little bit more. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being on Bold Mercies. We are so glad that you were able to be here with us today. It has been a joy listening to your story. Thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Bold Mercies. My prayer is that these stories would encourage and inspire and transform. So if you enjoyed this story, you can head on over to any of your podcast apps or iTunes or my website, and please subscribe and share. Thank you so much.